I want to start a little strangely this morning with a story my dad gave to me years ago. You can find a lot of variations of it online. And uh, this story also has nothing to do with fish. It says this. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, about the abundance of the fish, about how they might go about fishing. They carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation, and they declared that fishing was to, be, was to always be the primary task of fishermen. They were continuously searching for new and better methods of fishing, They sponsored costly retreats and conferences to discuss fishing and to promote fishing and to hear about all the ways of fishing. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing fellowships. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. The one thing they didn't have time to do was fish. They organized a board to send out fishermen to where there were many other fish. The board was formed by those who had great vision and courage to speak about fishing and to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many other fish of different colors lived. Also, the board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and the committee members did not fish. Expensive training centers were built to teach fishermen how to fish, Those who taught had doctorates in fishology. But the teachers only taught fishing. They did not fish. Year after year, graduates were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they engaged in all other kinds of occupations, building power plants to pump water for the fish, using machines to dig new waterways for the fish. And while their work was very good, they did not fish. Further, the fishermen built large printing houses to publish fishing guides. Presses were kept busy day and night to produce materials solely devoted to fishing methods, equipment, and programs to arrange and encourage meetings to talk about fishing. Movies were even made about sensational fishing expeditions and dramatic tales of the perils of being aboard a fishing vessel. But still, no one fished. Some also said they wanted to be part of the fishing party, but they felt called to only furnish fishing equipment. Others felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way and uh, to make sure that the fish knew the difference between a good and a bad fisherman. Others felt that letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and showing the fish how loving and kind they were, that was enough. So they did not fish. After one stirring meeting on the necessity for fishing, a young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. The next day, he reported he had caught an outstanding fish. He was told that he had a special gift of fishing. He was honored for his excellent catch, and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. 
in order to have time to tell about his experience to all the other fishermen, he quit fishing. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who didn't catch fish were really not fishermen, no matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never catches a fish? Is one following if he isn't fishing? I want you to know right from the start that my goal is not to antagonize or beat anyone up or to make you feel guilty in any way. But I truly do hope that you see and hear my own conviction. And more importantly, I hope the Holy Spirit brings some conviction to your heart. Because the area of evangelism is something that none of us are great at. None of us have figured it out. None of us do it perfectly or often enough. And uh, I think I'm pretty safe in saying that every single person in this church, when we're finished today, should feel greater conviction to be a better fisherman. Uh, I'm going to even go so far as to say if Billy Graham were sitting in the front row, that he would feel conviction. And it's not because I'm going to preach anything great or, or I discovered some hidden interpretation of Scripture. It's for a simple reason. There are still millions, perhaps billions of people in the world that have never heard the gospel. And a lot of them are right here in Ferndale. Let's backtrack a little bit this morning and uh, remind ourselves then exactly what we're talking about when we use words like the gospel or evangelism. Stick with me for a few moments. The gospel is, in one sense, very simple and, and yet complex. It can be uh, easy to understand, yet is very profound. And I, I've summarized it in a couple different ways for you today. The gospel is simply the good news. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The analogies are, of course, endless. But uh, think about a couple with me. I'm hungry. Good news. I have food. Uh, I have a headache. Good news. Here's some medicine. Some Advil, Tylenol, whatever your choice. Uh, I'm sick. I have cancer. Great news. I have the cure. I'm powerless against sin and death. Good news, says Romans 1.16. Here's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Is there any better news than that? The gospel is the good news. The gospel is also the historical events of Jesus' life. They're called the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And... Uh, Primarily, most specifically, it's Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And then the gospel is the actual method by which people are saved. All right. if, uh, if you've never studied chapter 15 in the book of 1 Corinthians, I encourage you to do it. Verse 1 says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. That's what we're talking about here. Verse 2 says, By this gospel you are saved. 
verse 3 and 4, describes that, describes the death and the resurrection of Christ. And then verse 5 through 8, it tells of a whole bunch of different people that saw Jesus alive. And, uh, And the rest of the chapter, all the way down to verse 58, explains all that, of how it works. And verse 58 of of uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We got the gospel. So what's evangelism? Well, evangelism is simply the communication of the gospel. It can be through text or through the spoken word. And it includes a couple things. It includes, uh, I've sort of oversimplified this, and uh, that's all right. Uh, Evangelism includes a warning, it includes an explanation, and it includes a call. So let's look at those three. The book of John is uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, and it says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Or the book of Acts is describing Paul in the actual act of evangelizing. And it says, Now as he, Paul, reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Revelation chapter 20. Listen as I read. And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds." Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a pretty serious warning. Evangelism includes a warning and includes an explanation. We need to explain what God's remedy for sin is. And that really is the heart of the gospel. Again, the book of Acts tells the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And and, uh, he's reading some scripture. And he responds to Philip's question this way. When asked about his understanding of the scripture. And he says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. And a couple verses later, the Bible says, so Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Or Romans starts this way, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. And then the rest of that passage goes on to explain how that works. So evangelism includes a warning, an explanation, and finally a call. A clear call to repent, to turn away from sin, to turn toward God, and to believe the gospel by faith. The book of Mark records some of Jesus' first words preaching And it's right before our verse earlier, before he starts calling the disciples. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Or in Luke, 
Some guys show up to talk to Jesus, and they tell him some story about a bunch of people that died horribly. And Jesus responds twice to them. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then, of course, there's Paul. He's in the city of Athens, where uh, Helen just came back from. And he's sharing the gospel, and near the end of his talk, he says that God now commands all men everywhere to repent. A warning, an explanation, and a call. And uh, if you want some more detail about that, come see me later. Many of you here this morning are hearing this, and you might already be starting to tune me out. This sounds a lot like something that pastors should be doing, or Phoebos, or the other missionaries. And, and gee, Jim, that's a lot of scripture up there. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm the one that actually has to communicate that. I really want to settle this question in all of our heads this morning. I want to settle the question, are we really all, every single one of you sitting here, standing here, responsible for evangelizing? I think the scripture we're going to look at leaves zero wiggle room. God commands us to do it. But before I get to some of those scriptures, I want to read this one to you. It's out of 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And uh, if nothing else sticks in your heart this morning, then maybe this verse will. We need more delight. It says this, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Thank you, Fivos, for being a great example of, of that verse. Sharing your life and the gospel. So are we all responsible? All right. Here's some pretty famous words of Jesus. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. I'm pretty sure most of you have heard that one before. How about the book of Matthew? Go, therefore. Pastor Dave has talked before about the original Greek, meaning as you are going. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have, that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Pretty clear, straightforward. Again, here's Jesus' last words before leaving earth in the book of Acts. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those were Jesus' words near the end of his ministry. But earlier on, Jesus communicates his entire purpose for being here on earth. He uh, is at the house of Zacchaeus, and he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He was hanging out with a bunch of people that sounded like who you've been hanging out with. right. And the book of Timothy makes it abundantly clear as well. 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. It's a good reminder there that we were all once ranked among the worst sinners and there are still millions of people living in that unsaved state. Obviously in our imitation or our copying of Christ, we don't have a part in the actual saving, right? That's Jesus, that's the gospel story. And yet, Jesus is not standing here this morning. He is present with us, but he's not physically here on earth. You and I, however, are. We have a room full of people. And I think, again, these verses make it rather plain that people need to hear it. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And a few verses later, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. A lot of hearing in there, which means there had to have been some speaking. It is our job to tell people. God speaks through us. We speak for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you want to see an example of how Jesus himself evangelized in a one-on-one setting, then uh, study the book of John chapter 4. And uh, if you need some more convincing of why it is so important that we have to speak the words, we have to evangelize ourselves, then uh, come see me afterwards and I have some more information for you. Well, uh, in case you forgot about these pretty famous words of Jesus, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Again, can anyone name one thing that is more loving than sharing the gospel with someone? Is there anything more important than speaking the words that can lead someone to faith in Christ from death to life? Before uh, you either accuse me of oversimplifying this morning or maybe you have some excuses creeping into your head, I get it. Scripture tells us to care for the physical needs of others. Absolutely. And it instructs us at length about putting effort towards our own spiritual growth and the growth of others in discipleship. But I submit to you today that perhaps you've put too much focus on your own comfort Maybe too much focus on the comfort of the person sitting next to you. And maybe you've lost the fire that burned in Jesus and in Peter and in Paul. 
we've lost or at least significantly diminished the desire to go fishing for people. I found the following quote from a guy named Dr. Ron J. Bogalki. I've put just a few of the excerpts up there on the screen for you. Sorry if it's more confusing than it is helpful. Here's what he writes. Not only is there a tendency on the part of Christians to be disobedient toward all components of the Great Commission, but also there's a tendency on the part of Christians to ignore the truth that Christ and his apostles gave utmost emphasis upon indoctrination of converts in the whole counsel of God's word. For instance, in the New Testament, one reads that the apostles won converts, baptized them, and organized them into local churches for the purpose of doctrinal and practical edification and observance of all biblical commands. Although evangelism and communicating to a lost person, the reality of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone are vitally important components of the total responsibility of the local church, the church must continually remind herself that the New Testament places the utmost emphasis upon the feeding, the teaching of those who are already Christians. Indeed, it may be said that the indoctrination of converts in the whole counsel of God's word is the basic New Testament pattern for world evangelism. Apart from this emphasis, Christian evangelism will soon become ineffective and superficial. And then Dr. Bogalki ends with this. The church grows quantitatively and qualitatively through the proclaiming of the gospel and the systematic teaching of God's word. If you were listening carefully, you realize that Dr. Begalke was arguing a different point than I'm arguing this morning. But I think he was maybe writing to an audience different than us. Because I think we have a pretty incredible pastor who preaches and teaches God's word. And I think we do a good job here at this church of discipling and training and fellowshipping. But when was the last time you proclaimed the gospel? When was the last time you personally spoke the good news? That's the part, again, we conveniently put on missionaries or the pastor, and we've comforted ourselves with the idea that our actions, the way we live our lives, is a good enough witness. We just live right. That's enough for our neighbors and co-workers. Have you been paying attention to the scripture this morning? Yes, absolutely. The Bible tells us to live our lives and our actions, that both of those ought to reflect Christ. But we must speak God's truth. So how do we do that? I have just a a few practical ideas for you this morning, and then I want to issue a challenge. How do we actually do that? First, stop separating your life into spiritual and secular. You are a fisherman or a fisherwoman or a fisher child. You are a follower of Christ if you have made that choice to be so. And as such, your primary responsibility is to love God and love others. 
which obviously includes the gospel. I'm a fisherman, and I happen to have a family and a job and some other responsibilities in life. I praise God that all of my kids have joined Melanie and I in his family, but every other area of my life and every moment of my day is just a different place to keep loving God and loving other people. And that means sharing the gospel. If I go shopping, if I'm playing a sport or watching a sport, going to the movies, in my yard, at a park, at a club meeting, a business meeting, the list could go on and on. I am currently trying to develop the habit of not even getting out of my vehicle before I have said a prayer and asked God to help me look for opportunities to share. Give me the courage and the wisdom to how to share the gospel, whether it's Dairy Queen or Hagen's or my work or the doctor's office, wherever it is. Every part of our lives are connected to Christ, and we need to see them that way. Here's another way. Church? What? Really? Uh, isn't church the place where I come to have someone spoon-feed me and give me encouragement and maybe just relax? Uh, Yes, church. This building is not our clubhouse. It is uh, not a place to hang out with our friends. It is not a free cookie dispenser. It's where we come to worship the Lord. But we do that with the awareness that the person near you might need more than just a simple handshake. Will you start coming to church looking for chances to encourage others and perhaps even here share the gospel? Last one. Stop spending so much time mending the nets. What do I mean by that? I... uh, I worked in my younger days up in Alaska on a fishing boat for four years, and uh, it consisted of about four weeks on a 32-foot boat, probably half the size of the stage. Um, No showers, wasn't very fun. Um, Most of our time was spent sleeping, eating, fishing, or mending the nets, pretty much it. And it's a gill netting boat, so if you don't know about gill netting, it's a, about a 10-foot high net, about 600 feet long, and it's made out of mesh. And the fish swim into it. It's a specific size net for sockeye. The fish swim in, and their gills get caught, and they can't get out. And uh, every once in a while, you pull in the whole net onto the boat, and my job was to get the fish out of the net. And the only way to do that was to pull them through, but their bodies are a lot bigger than their heads, or you have to shake them back out the other way. And oftentimes, you would break a strand or two of the net as you were working. Sometimes the net got snagged on different things. And uh, speed, while we're doing that, was important. The captain of the boat made that very clear to us. You can't catch any fish if your net is on the boat. (laughs) So while we tried to take care of the net, it was more important to break a few strands to get the fish out and get the net back in the water. 
sometimes uh, the net would start to look pretty ragged and fish could swim through it, through those big holes. And we had to stop and mend the net. I think for some of us as Christians, though we spend all our time trying to fix the problems of our own life, focused right down here on myself. And we think maybe that we have to have this perfect, clean, beautiful-looking net before I can put it in the water. Don't get me wrong again. God hates sin. We're called to live perfect, righteous lives. But I think too many of us are stuck on the boat, focused on ourselves, putting all our strength toward a bad habit or a nagging worry. And Romans 6.14 clearly says that sin is no longer our master. So I wonder this morning, how many of our addictions or habits or how many of the broken nets of sin might just disappear when we lift our eyes and look around and obediently go fishing? Obediently share the good news. I caught a lot of fish in Alaska with nets that weren't all that pretty. Well, I have uh, been purposely vague this morning about, and haven't given you any specific details about a method for witnessing or a method for evangelizing. And that's on purpose, because that's your job. Each of you has your own gifts and abilities and personalities. And you have the freedom to share the good news in your own way. But you actually have to have a way. Our ultimate goal for all of us is that we understand the entirety of God's word. And we have enough of it memorized that in our sharing of the gospel, we can be flexible. Depending on who we're talking to. But I have a specific challenge today for the men of our church. I have an assignment for you, and your assignment is this. You need to do some research. You need to go learn for yourself, maybe memorize a few key scriptures, and then teach your wife and your children or your grandchildren a specific way to share Christ. In a spiritual sense, I'm asking you to add a major power tool to your workbench, garage. There's a lot of specific examples out there. I shared the Romans Road a few months ago in Iwana. Um, The Wordless Book, Five Fingers of Evangelism Explosion. Pretty sure we still have some copies of the story around our church somewhere. Um, But no matter what you pick, it's your job. Men, it's your job. Not Dave's, not mine. Not the Iwana leaders, but your job to equip every single person that lives under your roof. To equip them to be able to share the gospel. We have a few single moms in our church. And uh, this is a perfect example of how we need to do this together. Claudia, are you here today? Claudia is up in the balcony. Uh, I have committed to Claudia, and I'm committing to her publicly, 
that I'm going to take this challenge and I'm going to do it with her oldest son, Jathan. And I would love for a couple men to come find me or come talk to Claudia afterwards because she has two younger sons. Somebody that will say, I will take the time to figure out a way to share the gospel in a simple, practical way, and I'll help teach it to Claudia's sons. There might be some other single women or grandmas here. Uh, If you're humble enough to ask for help, come talk to me afterwards. We have people in our church that are willing to help. That's what church is about. We need to do it together to help each other follow God's commandments. Unless any of you walk out of here today thinking that whatever conviction or thought is from me, Jim Hively, and not the Holy Spirit, can I be painfully honest this morning? I have I've been a Christian since I was five years old. I'm 43 now. 38 years walking with Christ. Do you know how many people I have personally sat with, prayed with, and seen come to faith in Christ? One of them's my daughter down in Children's Church. The other two uh, were back in college at a camp for junior hires. I'm not preaching today from some area of expertise. But I am declaring God's truth to you from a place of weakness and great conviction myself. I must do better. Not so I can have a bigger number to tell people the next time I'm preaching somewhere. Not because I have to earn God's favor. But because God has given me the incredible free gift of salvation and a relationship with him. And I want to share that joy with others. I hope you think about what I've shared from God's word today. And I hope you will act on it. Let me end with this final word of encouragement from God's word. This just about sums it all up right there. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Let's pray. Worship team, you can come forward. Father, thank you for the call to each of us to follow you. Help us like the disciples, to leave the distractions behind and to be fishers of men. Father, help us to equip ourselves to do that and then give us the courage to speak. Father, we pray in faith that people would come to know you They would come into right relationship with you. They would experience the joy of knowing you 
and be firm in the promise of eternity with you because of this church here in Ferndale. I pray for our, the missionaries that we support around the world, that you encourage them this morning as well to continue to proclaim the good news. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.